Hello, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, media personality, talent booker, dog lover, Atlanta lover, and ready to put everything out on the table. Uh, and I'm Jen Jordan. Um, yeah, me too. Well, you're running for attorney general. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a state senator. I'm running for attorney general. I've got three <laughs> dogs, two kids, and a great husband. And today we have another fabulous voice with us. I am Terry Anulowitz. I am not a state senator. I am not running for attorney general, but I am the representative for State House District 42. I live in Smyrna, Georgia. I also have a great husband, two kids, but only two dogs. Only, only two. I only, only have two. one. Yeah, one dog. Yeah. That's not enough. You gotta fix that. I know. Can you talk to my husband about that? Okay. All right. We're <laughs> going to work on that. All right. Well, welcome back, ladies. We're so excited to have Terry a part of this um, because uh, there's so much to cover. Uh, Jen, you have been very busy. We have not had a podcast in a couple of weeks because, well, you're, you know, basically all over the state. I mean, you're currently doing business as we speak right now. Yeah. I mean, look, we've, we are in the, um, we're in the hunt. Um, we made it through the primary, and now we are looking forward to November. And so you can kind of, uh, the pace is really starting to increase. Um, so it's it's pretty incredible. Well, congratulations on that big fundraising haul. You've been, you know, racking in the cash. Uh, is that a new outfit? I'm just kidding. Uh, no. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh, my hair looks good. Good highlights. <laughs> yes. Ah, yes. Uh, well, we will give credit to to Brett Parker, who is, uh, uh, we have the same hairstylist. Oh, so okay. We do. It does. So when you're doing all those TV hits on MSNBC and CNN, I mean, we've been seeing you everywhere, looking good, doing good. Um, all right, well, let's talk about uh, the biggest thing, Roe being overturned. I mean, my gosh, there's just so much to discuss here. Let's start with how it relates to Georgia and HB 481. Terry, did you want to chime in on that? Yeah. So I was, you know, Jen was over in the Senate with HB 481. I was over on the House side, spoke against the bill along with so many of my colleagues in the House. What I'm thinking about the most today in 2022, now that we are post row, and I think about House Bill 481, I think about all of my Republican colleagues who the night of that vote came to me and said, look, we know it's a bad vote. We know it's not a great bill. We've got to do this or we're going to get primaried. Don't worry. Roe's never going to be overturned. This bill's never going to be enacted. I cannot tell you how many of my Republican colleagues said things similar to me. And lo and behold, and we knew, we knew Roe was at risk. Of course we knew Roe was at risk. We saw what was happening with the courts. We saw what was happening with the Supreme Court. We knew what was going to be happening. And it happened. And so... I've given too much brain space probably to those Republicans who were like, yeah, you know, don't worry, don't worry. We got it. They made it seem like 481. And I think to many of the Republicans who voted for House Bill 481 in the House and the Senate, it was performative. It was theater. It was something they wanted to do so they could put on a campaign mailer that they were fighting for for life and they were fighting for unborn babies. What it really was, was a vote against women. It was a vote against every woman they know and every woman they're ever going to know and every woman they ever have known. Again, there were a couple of people who had a sincere belief about it, but for most of them, I really believe it was performative. And now we are seeing the consequences, what happens when you have performative legislation like House Bill 41. Well, and even apart from it being performative, I mean, the, the biggest issue for me was I don't even think anybody read it. No. Right? They had no idea exactly what they were putting into law. And so not only is it anti-woman, 
It's anti-doctor, it's anti-healthcare, it's anti-science, it's anti-truth. I mean, because the whole idea that a fertilized egg is now going to be a person um, for all intents and purposes under Georgia law, I mean, it is just going to wreak havoc. It's going to wreak havoc across the board. I mean, it's going to be like open season on our courts. Oh, it is. It had That bill has components that were suggested as a joke by Democrats. Like when you're talking about the child support, for example, for a fetus, when you're talking about, you know, I mean, it is, this bill treats a fetus as a person to the point where if you're pregnant, you can drive in the HOV lane if there's not any other, any other person in your car with you. It is ridiculous. And there are things that were suggested like, well, hey, if you're going to make it a person, you should get child support. Hey, you should be able to claim it as a tax deduction. What Bob, and, and talking about how they don't know what's in it, the day Roe was overturned, a reporter from the local paper in Marietta called me and said, hey, who's in charge of prosecuting this? If, the, you know, once 481 goes into effect. I said, well, the DA, I said, you need to call, you, know, you need to call Flynn Brody, the DA in Cobb County. He said, well, I called Flynn. He said, you know, he gave me a quote. He said, but there are a lot of other questions I have about the enforceability. I said, well, you need to call the sponsor. You need to call Ed Sudsler. He's here in Cobb County. You've got his number. You need to call him. He said, I did call him. He said, he doesn't know the answer to most of these questions. Of course he does. And of course I was like, that is Sudsler for you. So what happens next? I mean, so now we're, we're waiting a couple of weeks until the, you know, cause right now it's the six week heartbeat bill is not in effect, but it will be eventually. Jen, you've been getting a lot of news saying that if elected as attorney general, that you wouldn't enforce it or that you would not put all your resources towards that. Can you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah. And just to, just to be clear here, um, the district attorneys would be the ones that would need to enforce it. It's it's just kind of a basic criminal law, right? It criminalizes certain conduct, and so that is really for the district attorneys um, at the county level. With respect to the attorney general, A, I wouldn't defend it because I think it's unconstitutional, but I thought that before with respect to the U.S. Constitution, but now that Justice Alito basically sent it back to the states, I feel even more strongly that it's unconstitutional under the Georgia Constitution. So when I am elected attorney general, it's not going to be about defending the law. It's going to be about challenging it. Uh, and interestingly, you know, as we've been watching all the press and, and we've noticed that Governor Kemp and a lot of the pe- Republicans are just dodging questions about this. They do not want to talk about well, it. Some of them are. I mean, what's interesting is my opponent has been very clear that from his perspective, um, he doesn't even believe in an exception for rape or incest. I mean, let that kind of soak in, right, in terms of, you know, if you can think about it, the, the 12-year-old who's raped or the 10-year-old who is an incest victim. I mean, those are children themselves. And so to, to be someone who, who can't even have the mercy, right, or, or the empathy to even understand what's going on and just saying, nope, this is my personal belief. This is my religious belief. Um, ergo, I'm going to impose it on you. It's, it's pretty incredible. Well, and talking about that lack of empathy, that lack of understanding what it might be like to be a raped, impregnated child is so stunning. And one of, even in the current bill, there is an exception for rape or incest, but you've got to file a police report. Now, tell me how a child, a 12, 13, 14-year-old child, and Jen and I have daughters who are around the same age. Who, who is the victim of incest, yeah, right? Who is the so victim? It's a parent. Right. The parent is the perpetrator here. Right, or a step-parent, or a cousin, or a sibling. And this is how, I mean, most sexual abuse is not 
a stranger attacking a child. It's somebody this child knows and this child's family trusts. And now the burden is on a child, a middle schooler, to have to go and file a police report, to have to go and try to get their parent to believe them that this is happening when there might be so much on the line economically for this family. This might be how this family has a stable housing. It might be how this family is eating because of this person. It's, it's, it's absurd, and there is absolutely zero empathy, even in the current bill, for people who are in horrible, unimaginable situations. Well, I, that's why I want to bring up uh, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, who was recently on State of the Union uh, which with Dana Bash. And the story that made a lot of news was the story of the 10-year-old girl who was in Indiana, or I'm sorry, she was in Ohio, and she had to go over. She was recommended by a child abuse uh, doctor to, she had to have an abortion and she had to go over state lines to Indiana to, to get that handled. And I mean, it's a horrific story. And, and I want to point out that I think those stories are happening all the time, but because of Roe versus Wade, we just don't hear about them. These things just happen and we go on. So uh, Dana Bash was asking Christy Nome about this and it just did not go well. Should she child. have to have a, a child. child? A child. Should she have and to have that baby? Every single life, every single life is precious. That, this tragedy is horrific. I can't even imagine. I've never had anybody in my family or myself gone through anything like this. I can't even imagine. But in South Dakota, the law today is that the abortions are illegal except to save the life of and the mother. And you would be okay with that? And a 10-year-old girl having to have a baby? No, I'm never okay with that. In fact, that story will keep me up at night. It absolutely so will. So would you try to change the law mother, to have an I'm exception a, of a in a situation like I've this? I've got a one-year-old one little granddaughter mm -hmm. named Miss Addie. I can't even imagine. What I would say is I don't believe a tragic situation should be perpetuated by another tragedy. And so there's more that we've got to do to make sure that we really are living a life that says every life is precious, especially innocent lives that have been shattered like that 10-year-old girl. Yeah, and, and it's incredibly complicated, and I, and I get it. But I guess my question is, given how heartbroken you seem to be about the situation, maybe the, the question is this, because what I keep thinking about is, how is a 10-year-old girl physically no. probably can't even uh, carry a baby without being, never mind emotionally and mentally, uh, sort of tormented, but physically hurt. Would you consider that the life of a mother at risk? And I think that's something that, you know, that situation, uh, the doctor, the family, the individuals closest to that will make the decisions there for that family. That's what's interesting about the time we live in right now is every state will have different laws on the books. The decisions will be made by the legislators that are closest to the people. That's appropriate. Mm -hmm. It's the way our constitution intended. Uh, and I think that South Dakota's laws may look very different than California's, may look very different than New York's, where that governor has said she wants to become a destination known for providing abortions. Well, that's not our story here in South Dakota. Yeah. Uh, and I think every governor, every state will make very different decisions on what their laws look like. On that note, if Republicans take back Congress in Washington, would you support a national ban on abortion? You know, we'll see what Congress does and what those discussions are. I've never, Dana, uh, operated in hypotheticals. I've told people what my values are, how I would lead, and then I follow through on that. That's just something that I've always done running for elected office. You represent your people, but you also represent the person that the values that you hold and, and how you see your job as governor. So here she is not giving an answer, saying, well, I guess she has to go to New York or, Cal or California, which is absolutely insane. Um, do, do, 
we have to press our politicians on this moving forward, right? Well, I think we have to press our politicians on it, but like how ridiculous is that you may have a constitutional right in one state, but then you cross over the line and then you don't have it anymore? I mean, you know, kind of the inconsistencies in terms of prosecution, like, you know, people even knowing what's legal or what's not. I mean, it really is, it raises a lot of due process issues. But absolutely, we need to be asking politicians, you know what, you passed this law, you were the proponent of it. Do you understand what the consequences really are going to be? Terry, are people in your district, I mean, your district is pretty... My district's pretty blue. Okay. It's pretty, yeah, my district is actually very overwhelmingly blue. And so I'm mostly here, the, the constituents who I'm hearing from I'm hearing from because they want to know how they can support me when I'm back in the state house in January. They want to know, you know, what they can do. They're upset. They are angry. They are again, trying to wrap their head around everything that this means. I mean, you talk about fertility treatments there. We don't know what this means for Georgia. We don't know what this means for people who have fertilized embryos. What, you know, are they, what are they able to do with those embryos? Are you able, you know, when we go back to talking about DAs and whether and how they're supposed to prosecute this. What if a woman is undergoing fertility treatments and she might have, she might lose three pregnancies in a year. Right. How, how is that supposed to be? Is it supposed to be investigated? Do you have to prove that you've had these miscarriages? And that, again, all well, of that and, goes back to these gray areas and how is any DA supposed to actually enforce this? Well, and forensically a medication abortion, when you take medication, which then induces labor, that, that's the medication abortion, looks exactly the same as a naturally occurring miscarriage. Right. right. So there's no way that somebody could go into an ER, um, have, you know, hemorrhaging, having some issues, and for the ER doctor to be able to say, okay, which one is it, right? I mean, at the, at the worst, lowest, hardest point in a woman's life, then to have, you know, law enforcement poking around outside the door to see if, if maybe she did this to herself or not, the question that I have is, is this going to move the needle in, in the midterms? We're all uh, rightfully so upset. I have so many of my friends saying, you know, what can I do? What do we do? You know, um, and I say, give money to our, <laughs> our elected officials, please, uh, and vote, obviously. Um, but it just it feels like a very, very hopeless time. I mean, we're going to keep hearing these horror stories of, of women and girls going through this. One thing that, you know, and I've mentioned, too, it's like these schools don't even want to teach sex ed. So they're saying, OK, you've got to carry a baby, but you're not ready for sex ed or device of concepts yeah it, right you might not even be clear how a baby is made yeah you know, like, no, that's and that's there's the rub right mm-hmm. there's the rub so let's let's look at this positively like the way i look at it is that we actually have more control over this than we've ever had right when it was the u.s supreme court it's like the court from afar it's something that we have absolutely no control over in terms of what they do or holding them accountable or anything at least now that we have it back here on our home turf, let's say, um, you know, voting and holding people accountable and actually, you know, talking about the consequences of this law in a way that people understand, you know, I think in terms of the midterms, it does, it does change things. 
But I think it's because I think women are going to have to to take the power and, and really understand that if they want changes in the law, if this isn't the policy they want for this state, then they're going to have to go out and vote and get rid of the people who actually put these policies in place. What and do you I, think? I really hope this motivates people to pay much closer attention to what's happening at their state level midterms. We know people need to vote in midterms. Obviously, Congress is important. We need people to pay attention to these state House and Senate races. They need to not just know who their state House and Senate representatives are. They need to know where they stand on the issue of choice. If that is an important issue to you as a voter, and I think it is an important issue to many, many voters, they need to know who their local people are. They need to know who they need to vote for. They need to know who they need to not vote for. They need to pay attention to what is happening at the Capitol. And it's hard, especially in Georgia, when you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who suck up so much of the energy and so much of the attention and put themselves in the middle of everyone's screens on a regular basis. She honestly doesn't matter to the conversation about choice in Georgia. She doesn't matter to the conversation about reproductive health care in Georgia at all, at all. She just doesn't matter. She's completely irrelevant. So stop paying attention to attention sucking succubi and pay much closer (laughs) attention to what is happening in your backyard with your house and Senate representatives, with your district attorneys, who is going to be your voice at the Capitol? Because if they're going to throw these things to the state, you need to know who's your voice. And we learned with HB 481 that it was a very close vote. What was it? Two votes? It was two votes in the house. And let's be clear since because I have to say that over and over. Let's be clear. Let's be clear that we Democrats in the House have have actually won more seats since then. And it's only going to increase as we go into 2023 session. That's right. So it's one of those things where if this has to go back through the process, I'm unsure if it could make it over the line. I don't know if it could because there were Republicans who voted against the bill. There were Republicans who took a walk and were not present in the chamber when that bill was up for a vote, which is basically the same thing as voting no. I think it'd be very, very tough. And some of those Republicans who voted against this are still there in the House, and they're going to be there in January. We need to put their feet to the fire. Uh, Jen, you won't be there, but uh, Terry, you will be. I'll be there. I've got nothing but time well, and hopefully, rage. Hopefully I'll be time and rage. <laughs> hopefully I'll be challenging the law. But let me, let me also say, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court justices are not elected, right? They are there for their entire life, for good or bad. Um, but in Georgia, our appellate court judges are elected. So with respect to our Supreme Court, you know what? There is a way to hold them accountable as well. All right. Well, uh, while we're on the topic, of course, this is why Jen, her words tuck me in at night when I'm raging. I can't believe this is America and the America we live in right now. I am always inspired by you ladies who are doing so, you know, fighting the power. Um, And also Jen saying, in catastrophe, uh, there's opportunity. Which That's right. She said that from Peaky Blinders, right? Which I just started watching, by the way. He's he's cute, isn't he? They're cute, 
And um, that's if, just if violent. But <laughs> yes, I have we'll, to. We'll, we'll lay it there. I have to cover my eyes. <laughs> it's intense, but okay. Uh, while we're talking about judges, Fonnie Willis, and this whole like Lindsey Graham being subpoenaed, and all of the Eastman being subpoenaed, uh, Fonnie Willis recently uh, gave an interview to NBC News, which was a pretty big deal. Here's a little bit of that. Big splash with the subpoenas that came out yesterday. Certainly, that's something that a lot of people are looking at. Rudy Giuliani, Lindsey Graham. Um, why? Why is it important to hear from those individuals? I mean, well, I'm not going to get into the details of the investigation, but this is what I will tell you: um, election interference is a very important subject. We have been granted a special purpose grand jury by the judges here. Um, I think it's an important investigation, and what is important is that the grand jurors hear from anyone that may have impacted this election. I think that they deserve to get a full picture. And so what we are trying to do is give them a full picture. Those citizens are, you know, they have a very important job. Their job is to write a report for the district attorney to advise on what they think is appropriate for us to do, which means I have to make a decision. Are we going to bring forth an indictment or will we have conducted an investigation and close this matter? And so for them to be able to give that advice, I think it's important that they hear from people that may have had something to do with an election interference. Could we expect to possibly see additional subpoenas from people in former President Trump's inner circle, former Trump associates? Yes. Are we talking about family members? Are we talking about former White House officials? I mean, we'll just have to see where the investigation leads us. But um, I think that people thought that we came into this as some kind of game. Um, this is not a game at all. What I am doing is very serious. Might we see a subpoena of the former president himself? Uh, anything is possible. So we're not ruling it out. It is possible. Absolutely. If you are met with resistance, how would you respond to that? If you're met with resistance, people who say they don't want to come testify. Nobody wants to come to the prosecutor's party. That's just kind of part of the, the work that we do. Um, we'll take it before the judge and the judge will make a ruling if we have a legal right to bring them before the court. But I mean, I've been a trial lawyer a long time. Most times people don't want to come, but that's why you have the power of the state and the power to subpoena people and bring them here. My job is not to um, bring you here because you want to come. My job is to make sure that the grand jurors get all of the evidence they want. So this is the deal. I mean, she has always been very serious about this. I think Republicans thought that this was some kind of political um you know, she was just doing this to get attention. And this, you know, this really wasn't going to go anywhere once, you know, we got past the last election or whatever. The problem is, is that she is a prosecutor. She is a district attorney. Her job is to enforce the law. There is evidence that the law was broken and broken intentionally. Right. And um, but for a couple of people just actually following the law, I mean, we may be in a very different situation in this country. So with respect to what she's doing and the people who are working on this, it is incredibly serious. Yes, yeah, she's doing exactly what she is supposed to be doing as the district attorney in Fulton County. These crimes, allegedly crimes, were committed in Fulton County. And what's fascinating also is a grand jury subpoena is no joke. If someone is issuing grand jury subpoenas, it is very clear that they are not there to play some kind of political game. And it's, and it's 
I think it's a, the next level as even inviting someone to come speak before your Senate committee where you're not under oath. You're not subpoenaed. You're invited. And you can really go and say whatever you want. I said on Twitter the other day, people who pay close attention to those legislative hearings that happened at the Coverdell Legislative Office building during the session have heard all kinds of off-the-wall bananas, bonkers, quote-unquote testimony over the years. People can come. They can say whatever they want. They can mix up Buckhead the city. They can mix up Buckhead the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They can say whatever Which they want. Which also happened during those Oh, it, it, ha- it happened. That that 100% <laughs> happened. Yeah. How do you ladies do it? I wonder. I'm like, I hear some of these stuff in small nuggets. I'm like, how do you, how do, you do it? Lots of practice. <laughs> well, lots. we won't. There are coping mechanisms. But. Are, yeah. <laughs> lots of practice, but lots of years of practice. So people can say whatever, but when you're getting a grand jury subpoena, you can't just decline to attend. You can't just, I mean, you can't purge, you can purge yourself, but it's really not recommended. And, you know, with like Lindsey Graham <laughs> coming up with some kind of, you know, saying he's not going to have to, yeah, you are, dude. Like, this is a grand jury subpoena. You you don't just not come. But, but that's also it. It's like, my whole thing is, if you, you know, if you don't have anything to hide, then what, what's the big deal? Right. If you really right. were exactly. acting in a way that was appropriate, um, that how people would expect you to act, you were asking legitimate questions, you had legitimate intent, there shouldn't be a big deal associated with showing up and telling what you know. But I think what Terry um, hit on is, is incredibly important here, is that all of these people that are showing up or being subpoenaed do have to testify under oath, Right. None of them had to do that at the Senate hearings. Mm-hmm. So right. now we we have really turned up the heat because, you know, perjuring yourself in front of a grand jury, it as she said, it's not recommended. Is he going to get out of it? What, isn't it up to a South Carolina judge to he decide? Could. He could. He I could mean, get out of think, it. Think about it. I mean, he's the U.S. senator, right? Right. I mean, I'm sure he knows all the local judges. Um, he's the ch- He's the former chair of the Judiciary Committee in, in the U.S. Senate. So if you have a local judge who who gets to make the call, you know, I, I think it's uh, heads or tails whether or not he gets out of it. Now, that may be with respect to Lindsey Graham. The rest of those yahoos, they don't have those kind of connections. No, and my guess not. is Eastman, Jenna Ellis, all the rest of them, um, they're going to have to come here and they're going to have to testify. But also, let me add one more thing. Just because you have to show up doesn't mean that you can't invoke the Fifth Amendment. Which certainly doesn't make you look, you know, like you have nothing to hide. Right. I mean, you know, in the grand jury, you know, that's, I, I mean, I don't know if I were sitting on a jury like that, I would, if someone was doing that constantly saying, I plead the fifth. Well, it was like Mike Flynn, right? Yeah. Right? When they're like, do you think that <laughs> it's moral to try to overturn an election? I plead the I plead fifth. I plead the fifth. Like what? what? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. General Flynn, do you believe the violence on January 6th was justified? So can I get a clarification? Is that a moral question or are you asking a legal question? I'm asking both. I said I, I said do you believe the violence on January 6th was justified morally? Take the spell. You believe the violence on January 6th was justified legally? 
Yes. General Flynn, do you believe in the peaceful transition of power in the United States of America? Yes, sir. <laughs> the thing is like, how? That's not making you look less guilty. It's like the people who were preemptively asking President Trump for, for pardons. pardons. Amazing. It's like if, if, if what you're doing is above board and you're proud of it, you're not also like, by the way, can I please have a pardon if everything goes bad? Like that that's not how this works. And a grand jury is a grand jury. And there, I mean, the testimony you were subjected to in that Senate committee, the testimony that B. Wynn and my other house colleagues were subjected to when that clown car came over to the house side of things was so absurd, so ridiculous. One of those yahoos accused my neighbor of voter fraud. I called him. I was like, Hey Rob, do you know that the president has accused you of filling voter fraud? <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> you know, and panicking because it's a scary thing to yeah, be accused of, of felony course. voter fraud. It's or a, targeted or by the president of yes, the United States. Yes. So let's bring that up to the January 6th hearings. Um, that's a good segue because it seems to me that the people who have testified there who have made the biggest impact are the women. Right. Like here you had uh, Ruby and her mother. Oh, my God. Um, and, you know, that was just it was absolutely so powerful. And then, of course, you know, Cassidy Hutchinson, that was just pretty jaw dropping. Well, look, she I mean, for someone who's worked her entire life in Republican politics and at high levels, clearly, I mean, she was in the office of the president. Right. I mean, She's who people were calling when they were trying to get to the president. They were a calling big deal. her. Yeah. Um, for her to give testimony like that, I mean, it it has to have come at great personal expense. And I'm not even talking about the death threats with respect to um, the Trumpers. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Ruby Freeman and her mother, I mean, that was just, I mean, that was just absolutely, or, or it's, it's the mother and the daughter. Right. Well, what's interesting is that that came, a lot of that came out of those Senate hearings. That's right. right. Based on the edited um, video that Giuliani and his folks showed that made it look like they were doing something nefarious. Right. They were basically like, look at these women, look, look what she's doing. Um, and so my questions are, who edited that video? Whose idea was it? Who was in on it? Who paid for it? Who paid for it? Right. Because that didn't just happen on its own. And I'm pretty sure that Rudy Giuliani wouldn't know how to work the software to make that. Uh, no, no he, he 100% doesn't know the difference in a ginger mint and a USB drive. <laughs> so there is absolutely no way. No, somebody. And that's the thing. And it is kind of a follow the money thing because somebody paid for this. Somebody organized this. Somebody, you know. Somebody it. came up with it. Yes. I mean, it was right. like it was it was presented like it was some kind of like scripted out play. And I mean, there was yeah. a reason why Democrats weren't supposed to be in there that day. And it's Shay Moss is Ruby Freeman's the mother and Shay yes. Moss is, is the daughter. And, um, you know, her testimony was just I mean, I cried. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security all because a group of people starting with number 45 and his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter, Shay, to push their own lies about how the presidential election was stolen. 
We're just going to play the tape. There is nowhere I feel safe. Nowhere. Do you know how it feels to have the President of the United States to target you? The President of the United States is supposed to represent every American. Not to target one, but he targeted me, Lady Ruby, a small business owner, a mother, a proud American citizen who stand up to help Fulton County run an election in the middle of the pandemic. I, I was very I was very moved by it. So we're, there are going to be more hearings. Um, I think there's going to be definitely more Georgia information in that January 6th stuff. It seems like Georgia is the center of everything. So we're going to keep our eye on that. Liz Cheney, thoughts? Man, she's uh, she is who she is. She's 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 got some character, man. She's got big character. I mean, it's it's um, I have conflicting feelings personally, but at the same time, um, I'm just like, I mean, as a lawyer, are, are you watching her asking those questions and saying, oh, that's good? No, I mean, she clearly she was just doing it. Bam, 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 bam. I mean, it's um, those hearings are being presented very much almost like um, a mini trial. Yes, kudos. I was going to say kudos to Liz Cheney's staffers. Kudos to all of the staffers working for that select committee. They're doing a phenomenal job. The video, I mean, talking about the video and how what they recognize, you know, like Jen and I, we, we were all, I mean, Mara, we all probably had to suffer through watching the Iran-Contra hearings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that summer oh yeah uh, yeah we were on vacation at Callaway Gardens and I was like oh my god <laughs> uh, this you know I, I liked it which actually tells you a lot about me that yeah. actually watching that was was fun tv well and they all got off but, nobody paid any consequences no for that. that's true but you you know you have this televis and this is sort of this next generation next level like everything we've learned from almost 30 years of having the internet having everyone have access to the internet and and with everyone having the world in their pocket with their phones. I feel like all of that has been applied in a really good way to these January 6th committee hearings and how strategic they are, how, how well written and how thoughtful these questions are, how brave these people are to testify. Cause again, this isn't, you know, it's not made for prime time. These are real people with sacrificing very real things in their lives and their careers to come and testify. And it's, it's magnificent the way Liz Cheney is running this. I mean, Liz Cheney, love her or don't love her, or maybe like some things and not like some things, she is who she is. And she is not someone who ever says something she doesn't mean or does something she doesn't mean. Everything she does and everything she says and every policy point she makes, she does with utter absolute sincerity. And so I think that if there are people who agree with some of the more conservative things they say, but like, oh, well, I don't know about this January 6th stuff, they need to check themselves and be like, look, if this is someone who you view as a person of integrity with all of these other policy positions that you agree with, maybe you ought to give her some more credence than you might be giving her on this January 6th select committee. In our country, we don't swear an oath to an individual or a political party. We take our oath to defend the United States Constitution. And that oath must mean something. Tonight, I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. To defend this peaceful transfer of power, 
has been honored by every American president, except one. Well, I feel with her that she has evolved, which is interesting, even though like, you know, her sister who she was against gay marriage. And then she said in a 60 minutes interview years later that she was wrong on that. And then, of course, with the reversal of Roe, uh, you know, her statement wasn't great. Like, okay, back to the states, which I don't. As Jen mentioned earlier, like, oh, you're half a woman in one state and a whole woman in another state, which is weird. But it's so I wonder if if, you know. If if her views could ever evolve on that, because clearly she's angling for something bigger with all of this. And they might. I mean, I feel some of this is her coming out of the shadow of her father. I mean, her father was a larger than life um, personality. Love him or hate him. Um, and so I feel that as she's kind of progressed, right, and he's receded, that it's given her a little bit of room you know, to to kind of feel her way a little bit. But we'll see. We'll Look, see. I, I just appreciate her putting her neck on the line oh, politically. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, like I said, the physical threats are real. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, you know, I have these, going back to these Republican colleagues of mine who said, you know, well, I have to vote for this or I'm going to get primaried. She doesn't care whether she's primaried. She doesn't right. care. You know, she's, she's going to be able to sleep the sleep of someone who has the conviction and they're doing what they believe in. Well, yeah. And I do want to pause for a second and say, what does it say about our society that a, can I say grown ass lady? Yeah. What does it say about our society that a grown ass woman has to reach her fifth decade to come out of her father's shadow? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's keep this conversation moving because it's just such a spicy story talking about the Georgia Senate race and, uh, the, you know, the story that was in the Daily oh Beast about uh, Herschel Walker, who is running for Senate. And, um, you know, Jen and I have talked about this, too, you know, over the years about leaking about people from your own staff who are leaking. Yeah, it, it that's some serious stuff. Especially at the U.S. Senate level. That, yeah, leaking for that level of campaign, that's an elite level of campaign. And not just leaking, but like showing them your text exchanges. So uh, just to back up the story, if you hadn't heard it, you know, we've heard that, you know, Herschel Walker has one son who we know about, who we see on Twitter all the time. Plus his heart. Um, and then... Mm. <laughs> and then um, there was one child that said, hey, Herschel's my dad. And Herschel said, all right, I don't deny it. And then a couple of days later, a couple of, but there are four total, correct? Is that four total? I think there's four. And as of today. As, as of today. Okay. And which is fine, right? It's fine. And then people on the staff, apparently, and I'm paraphrasing the Daily Beast report, said the the staff said hey we're hearing rumblings of this you need to tell us if this is true so we can get our work in place this is what we do we're we're working on behalf of you and he said no it's not true yeah i mean look it is um it's intense a campaign atmosphere is intense um there are lots there's lots of incoming you know in terms of criticisms there's lots of and when you are the candidate, um, it's all personal, right? Because they are attacking you personally. Um, so there really has to be some level of trust between you and the people who you've hired. Because, you know, people are people. People have good days. They have bad days. 
um, and, and campaigning and running for office, especially at that level, is incredibly stressful and tiring. Um, it's a lot. So this kind of issue, like this early on, really is a, a super bad sign yeah. for, for Walker's team. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, sometimes you will have a campaign that starts hemorrhaging staff much closer to the election when they sort of, you know, when they see the ship is sinking and they're jumping ship. I think to most political watchers in Georgia, they probably wouldn't say that the Herschel Walker campaign is a sinking ship. So when, you, when you're in this position where you're raising money, you're performing well in the polls, but you still have this level of mistrust and kind of hot mess with your staff, that is a terrible sign because this is not amateur hour with the Herschel Walker campaign staff. These are professionals. They, this is how they make their living and they've been doing this for a while and making a good living doing it. And they're leaking to the Daily Beast about how bad it is. Text, emails. I mean, it is. It's bad. Like, it makes me kind of cringe a little bit because I'm like, oh, as a candidate, I'm like. Well, and then the part about major donors (laughs) starting to get cold feet. That was juicy. Yeah, that's the part that's fascinating to me because, look, you're going to have his loyalists. People just want to get somebody with an R next to their name. They don't care if it's, a, you know, a, don- a donkey. Right. Um, maybe donkey's not the best reference just for Democrats. Yeah, right? that's yeah. probably not. But when you lose Bernie Marcus. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, damn. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and then he's going to have to debate. So he agreed to debate Warnock already. Uh, so that's, you know, how just curious from both of you, like we all know what we know about him and his public speaking. Is there any way he can be trained in this amount of time? I don't I mean, I don't think no. So. And he would have to want to be trained. And I think that's that's one of the and that's one of the things I got from that Daily Beast article also. And you just have observed and seen and talked to other people. He thinks he's great. He's awesome. He's winning the Sugar Bowl. You know, he he doesn't well, because he, think has he needs been, to be trained. He has right. been beloved, right? Mm-hmm. And that is what he's used to. He's used to the media not pushing back. He's used to not being asked hard questions, right? Or nobody looking behind the corner to say, "Oh, is he really telling the truth?" But running for office is a whole different bag of chips. That's right. It reminds me of someone that's so weird. But yeah, when you're surrounded by yes men, and I mean, like I remember watching a media clip of him where he had said something just so incomprehensible and bizarre. And I thought to myself, oh my God, the camera's turned off. And he, there were like well paid staffers who were good at their jobs who said to him with a straight face, Wow, you did really well. Oh my gosh, that's, that's unbelievable. Well, yeah, I've been reading, you know, um, a shout out to Politically Georgia, which is a podcast uh, we've been listening to. And um, it was noted today that the AJC, Patricia Murphy had said that they had asked, uh, it, it, he's been asked to be interviewed for the AJC a number of times. And, you know, that's number one. And then I saw a long tweet thread from conservative radio host Eric Erickson, who basically said to all the Senate candidates, I will give you an hour of my show. Here are the four questions or four or five questions that were super, super basic. basic. Right. Yeah. Softballs. And they didn't do it. So, but does it matter? I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting because you that at the same time, like on the, I think it was on politically Georgia earlier this week there, the, maybe the Wednesday drop 
And they were talking, Bluestein was talking about how he has talked to people who said, well, I'm going to vote for Kemp, but I'm also going to vote for Raphael Warnock. And I, I think, I think there may be, I, I, a lot of uh, Republicans out there like that. I think that's probably right. I mean, and, and Warnock has done a, his staff is amazing. He is amazing. He has done a phenomenal job getting out there, winning over the hearts and minds of the business community in Georgia. And when I say business, I mean like hot, like the capital B business community in Georgia. He's brought a lot of money back to Georgia. He's done a really good job. His staff is everywhere that he cannot be in person. And that makes a difference. And he's accessible and he's available and not just at weird private invitation only events. I know I got to meet him recently and he was kind of dreamy. I mean, I have to say. Uh, sorry. I mean, I, I was just sort of mesmerized and he made me feel like I was the only person there and he was very like kind and warm and pretended to know who I was. Um, even if he didn't, that's politicians can be so good at that. I was just like, they do the same with me. (laughs) But no, but there's a difference in making people feel special and valued and seen and heard and Hiding yourself. Yeah. I mean, but, 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 but Herschel Walker is going out and he is meeting certain people. He is going out on some shows. I mean, like he went on a uh, killer Mike's show and he's going on some very specific softball conservative radio shows. So he's, he's holding fundraisers in Texas. I think he was, I think there was like a he's happy from. hour with, with Herschel last night with like the Buckhead Republicans. So yeah. do they have to sign an NDA? I've heard that there's <laughs> some NDAs. Uh, what? Yes, I've heard that, yeah, that a lot of those, like, especially early on, a lot of it, like if you were going to like actually meet him, have your photo taken, I've heard there were NDAs. Wait, so in the question is when we get, you know, when the rubber hits the road, Kemp is going to have to really endorse him, right? Oh They're going to have to go out and do stuff together. Yeah, they are. Well, and that's what's also interesting about the Republican slate. It's like, because, you know, Burt Jones was a big, Kemp, I mean, a big Trump person, a big Trumper, right, right. right? And and aligned with Purdue, and then of course Kemp wasn't, and it, so what are they? Yeah, are they going to be on the bus together like Jeff Duncan and Brian Kemp were four years ago? I don't think they're going to be, be on the same bus. I don't yeah. think it's going to be the same bus. That's going to be quite a bus. <laughs> bus or buses. <laughs> That's a good segue to Candace Taylor. Right. So the Georgia Guidestones, which is something that um, I only learned about from watching on John Oliver about this thing that was built in that town. It's Eaton. No, 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 no. The Granite Capital. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm not running for for office, so I can get there. You live in Georgia, though. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So that's the Granite Capital of the world. Right. Yeah, it's a big deal. And somebody built that in 1980, and most people in the town really love it, but some find it controversial. Well, a lot, it seems like they love it less because of what the stones say. They kind of sound like they're written by Thanos. But, <laughs> but like less for what the stones say and more that the stones, it's, it what I got from the mayor of Elberton, it represents the craftsmanship and quality of the granite in Elberton and that only in Elberton, Georgia, United States of America, will you, would you find not just the granite, but the people, the craftsmen capable of doing all of those inscriptions and making this, this monument. And so I think that, it was a point of pride for the people of Elberton 
But Candace Taylor, who ran for governor, um, Jesus Guns Babies. She thought it was like satanic or something. If we don't call things out and we don't acknowledge them and we don't take authority and take dominion over what God's given us, then we are no better than the evil ones that put it up. We've watched as people have destroyed our history and monuments, and in their place, they have erected statues to their own gods. The new world order is here, and they told us it was coming. It's a battle far greater than what we see in the natural. It is a war between good and evil. So, yeah, who, she did. She did. She thought it was satanic and new world order. And also, I found, oh my God, I'm so glad I read Foucault's Pendulum in high school because all of this is useful now because <laughs> there's a whole like Rosicrucian aspect to this. What, what's a Rosicrucian? Oh, you, you weren't a nerd like me. Or you? I tried to read that. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I don't even know what it's, that so is. So basically, the da, Vinci, the da Vinci Code is like Foucault's Pendulum Light. So if you read the Da Vinci Code, you get the same thing with okay. the Rosicrucians. I did and read Da Vinci Yeah, Code. so like all the, yeah, it's this whole, all weird Knights Templar, like it's crazy way, like covering yourself in tinfoil level of conspiracies. Unbelievable. So, I mean, they seem to, they say they have some leads in the case. They're going to figure out who did it, but you don't think she did it, did, did, do you? I don't know, but it's terrifying that there's anyone who has had the materials capable of blowing up a Look, giant it's, granite monument. It's, it's domestic terrorism. Yeah, that's exactly and so what it is. While everybody's like, God's guns, babies, crazy lady said that she wanted to tear them down and now look. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it is domestic terrorism and those people absolutely need to be prosecuted, you know, to the full extent of the law, even if it includes maybe people who formerly ran for office. I mean, yeah. man. And Jesus, guns, not, and babies. Right? Jesus, guns, guns and, and money. Babies. I mean, you know. Jesus, guns, babies, and lawyers. Uh, and lawyers. <laughs> but lawyers, guns, and money. money. That's <laughs> all I think. The only thing I think when I see Jesus, guns, and babies is the shit has hit the fan. Uh, right. Um, okay. Uh, so that, and um, so, and while we're here, we're celebrating the 76th anniversary of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. I mean, that is just, a, I mean, that's amazing. It's so sweet. It is. I, you know, I hope I can be that way <laughs> one day. I mean, but they got together so early. So you can't, I mean, 76 years together, together, married. So we're not even talking about, you know, like I'm headed to 20 and I'm like, yeah, I, I just had my 20. I'm like, this is serious. I'm like, oh, yes, I've been married for 20 years. Like, it just feels long. My 20 is coming that. up too in yeah. November. And it's like, oh my gosh, 20 years. It's 76. Yeah. I mean, 76. that is, and I love them both. And, and Rosalind Carter is my birthday twin. So I feel very, an affinity with her. Um, but there, I was actually at the Carter Center this morning for a Peace Bell dedication. I'm on the, I'm co-chair of the Georgia Japan Caucus. And we had a ceremony there, and Jason Carter was there. Oh my and gosh, he, was that intense today? It, it the pro, with the former prime it minister was very sad. Oh, it was very sad to be. I mean, I've, I've made some tremendous friends through the Japanese consulate here and through the, the different trade Japanese trade organizations, and it was the tone was very somber, but also really focusing on the meaning of this peace bell that has been at the Carter Center for for years and years and years, but now is actually going to. They're bringing carpenters over from Japan to build a structure for it. The bell is more than two hundred years old. Most you're learning more than you ever wanted to know about peace bells, 
Most of these bells that come from the, that were in these Buddhist temples were melted down during World War II to make ammunition. And so wow. very few of them survive. So it's a big deal. And so, but while we were there, Jason Carter commented on and congratulated his grandparents because that was a, a good, bright ray of sunshine. Anyway, ladies, this has been amazing. Any closing words? Terry, has, how has this experience been for you? Oh, I love this. I love talking. I, and I, I love Jen and I, I love you. So this is fabulous. I like kind of this triangulation. I like it too. Uh, it uh, kind of keeps the flow. We got to keep this podcast going because, you know, the audience, you know, our small but very mighty audience looking at you, Dawn, uh, is, is they're wondering what's been going on. And I try to say Jen is, is busy. I mean, we need Jen. I mean, we need Jen. We need Jen. But you're not up for re-election I yet. am up for oh, re-election. You are. I am, but I am unopposed, which yeah, is okay. magnificent. She's always been, like, so super cool. She's I just been unopposed. I had a libertarian <laughs> like one time. one time. I had a socialist last time. Uh, what's your website so people can give you money? It is terryforgeorgia.com, and it's T-E-R-I-F-O-R-G-E-O-R-G-I-A.com. Okay, you can learn more about Terry, and it's uh, Jen. Uh, the number four, G-A. All right. Um, ladies, uh, thanks, Christina Laringer. Uh, uh, you get your work cut out for you today. <laughs> <laughs> but I can say grown-ass lady. <laughs> oh, you definitely can. Excellent. Well, maybe she can add a little bit of uh, the Candace Taylor fun booty. Oh yes, this is a song. Uh, we'll 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 head that the song with. Um, this was discovered. Um, actually, Blair Erskine, the comedian, tipped me off to this. She was going to stop by today because she's in Atlanta and she loves both of you ladies. But um, she found this song that her husband produced and wrote. It's really amazing. So we'll just give you a, just a little piece for of can, it for we, Jesus yeah. Guns Babies. This was. Like, this is real. This is an actual well, song. And, you know, Jen and I have both been married. All of us, all three of us have been married for almost 20 years. Why aren't our spouses writing songs about our fine-ass booties? Which that's, are fabulous. That's what I ask my husband every day. <laughs> every day. Every, every day. single day. Every day. Lawton, where's my song? <laughs> Mike, don't even go there. It's not even worth it. Oh, I would love to see Chris and Elowitz do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you guys next time. Uh, please enjoy. Hey, like, does anybody know what bend times two equals? Uh, booty? Yeah, she got a bigger booty than what they be shaking in the movie show. They always drop a love before it brings you right to me. I wanna fall on it, trip on it, jump on it, leap on it, fly on it, land on that fun tail booty. Gainy, meeny, mighty, mo, how low can this be?